Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Awful. It's just old age, mate. It'll get to you. Nah, I just, I don't look good. We're live. It is uh, 10.30 on the West Coast. I had to look at it just to make sure. 1.30 on the East Coast. Uh, I'm Tobias Carl. I'm joined by Jake Taylor and Bill Brewster. As always, how are you, gentlemen? Feeling good. I am okay. <laughs> just okay. How yeah, is everybody's okay. uh, January? Uh, I don't think it was nearly as bad as my June to November. Oof. That was awful. I had a pretty great January myself. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Got what, a, in the in the market or just generally? Oh, that was fine too, but no, just just living a good life. I don't know. You're too zen. You listen to too much Buffett and Munger on your on your walks on that little path behind you there. So yes, this is my actual walking daily hike uh, that I get out and get huh. some fresh air, listen to the Buffett and Munger, and provide perspective. You've shifted your time horizon all the way out to the horizon. So now you're Zen. That's the trick, really, I think. It could be a form of like self-hypnosis at this point. I'm willing to accept that. Well, everything is, right? It's what you're either being hypnotized in a good way or hypnotized in a bad way. Yeah. So you might as well be conscious about it and do the good thing. Yeah. I think that's right. We got some people tuning in because it's it's no longer mar- I mean it's markets in turmoil markets in turmoil for people who own puts I think <laughs> yeah we're back to this or people who've been short the junk Jesus big junk rally yeah <clears throat> shorting's yeah. a tough game you want to add to that Bill I thought you were going to say something <laughs> no I don't I mean look I just I um. I I, uh, I had tweeted out if I could I'd probably reverse the curate uh, Zoom bet and I said that before they whiffed uh, and today I'll do a post mortem on my ownership there. Are, Are you, you done? Uh, yes, I am for now. What's the stock done? Uh, has it fallen off or what's the? I mean, look, I, th- I think um, what. Are you selling because it got to where you thought it was going to get to? Show us on the doll where it touched you. Facts have changed. No, I mean, look, I, I, uh, I mean, we'll talk about it. All right. Okay. I've, uh, I've got a little veggie segment, probably not that veggie dense, but uh, it's kind of on misinformation and it's based on a couple of books I read last week. So you're doing a Spotify segment? I could get into that. Sure. It's wherever we want to take it. Just saying. <laughs> It's kind of the news event. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought this would be good because it uh, it'll might provide a little more historical perspective. Misinformation's as old as time. It's half of politics. Quit stepping on my segment. I'm sorry. Though. Sorry. <laughs> I got uh, I got evidently values had the best relative 50 days since like a really long time back, according to the Wall Street Days. I love <laughs> this. We, That's what we're measuring just, in this Yeah, days. we're just measuring it like wherever we can get the. <laughs> it's slip enough time, mate. It's slip enough time. You gotta, you gotta measure them when you can measure them. It didn't feel like a particularly good fifty days to me, but you know, who knows? Like. That's what the that's what the data say, I guess. Well, relative outperformance when everything's crashing is not exactly fun. Yeah. Uh, so I went. I went and pulled some of the um, Ken French data and had a look. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's in there. But you had to get a magnifying glass out to see it. Oh man, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> Not even gonna go there. Swimming anyway. All right, where do we want to start today? Let's let's get let's get into it. Mine's too depressing. Leave mine for the end. Let's let's. Do, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do curate. Yeah, let's do and curate. Then whatever. Okay. Look, I mean, so Wait, what's what yeah. was the original thesis? Though? Just just for folks who. Uh, well, I mean, at the end of the day, when uh, Mike and I bought it, you had a $4 billion company 
that I pitched as being able to sustainably do 500 to 750 million in free cash. Um, people were locked inside. It was a pro forma two and a half billion dollar valuation, roughly. We had six more months of lockdowns. Uh, and I thought that the probability of losing much was pretty low, uh, despite the leverage. About corporate actions, were those in play at that point yet? Yeah, yeah, it was after the corporate announcement. Um, so like now, uh, you know, they came out last quarter and what did they say? They said that, I mean, anyone that's listened to this thing knows the thesis, but fundamentally you have these super fans and then you fill your funnel with the rest of the sales. Uh, third quarter, they say revenue decreased 7%. They come on the conference call. They said, okay, well, you know, yes, uh, revenue decreased, but a lot of that has to do with um, why or, um, or like when we ship the items. Okay, so we should have some catch up in the back half or in the beginning of Q4. So, you know, don't, don't worry yet. Okay, fine. So now they say revenue down eight to 9%, QX, QXH down six and a half to seven and a half. I guess you could argue that that's within the realm of possibility. Uh, I know a couple people have had it modeled that way. They said, though, revenue performance at QXH deteriorated throughout the fourth quarter, deviating from initial trends indicated on our third quarter earnings conference call. We are not pleased with the results and are actively taking steps to improve our long-term performance. Okay. Uh, to me, this one really hurts, like more than being wrong on something generally, because I truly love this business. Uh, and I also... Uh, like, I think it, I think it serves a really important function in a lot of women's lives. I think it provides comfort. I think it like really, really like it. Um, and I like, I like the people at Liberty that are involved. Uh, I gotta, you know, uh, there's a ton of stuff that I like about it. Anyway, long story short, you know, we talk about playing with leverage. I don't fuck around with leverage for real. And if the trends are deviating substantially, and you have a new CEO that has limited retail experience, and you just lost the head of QXH, who, in my opinion, had a great run over the last two years. And yeah, Mike George is still in the building, but he's an advisor. He's not the CEO. Like, uh, you know, I had, I had been moving funds out of Curate into Charter because I thought that that was a better risk reward anyway. Uh, I had a little bit left on the table when the punch came, um, you know, the day that I guess you could argue we all capitulated. I think some people are writing me and they're saying, you know, in my model, it's still cheap to you guys. I say, I really hope that you make a lot of money. Uh, I, I really hope that the business is great and uh, I have no problem buying it higher once they prove that there's a true digital pivot here. But I, I have some concerns over whether or not the ship can be righted. And in theory, right, we're now, we're now down to a sales level that's below 2019 levels. I mean, look at retail sales since 2019. It's not below 2019 levels. And your OEBITDA is down 20% this quarter. Inflation's got something to do with that. The fire's got something to do with it. I get it. It's just like, look, whether or not, however I feel about the people involved in that business, like, go read Hempton's post on when you should double down and when you shouldn't. And in my opinion, uh, if I held and I continued to hold here, uh, that's one of these hopium, but it's still too cheap theses. And I've seen people get smoked on those over and over and over again. And I'm not, I'm not going to hold the zero because I think it's too cheap. How much capital did you get back before having to punch out? A lot, but where I messed up my trade is I really thought I was right in Q2 and I put more in at like 11 bucks. Um, so, you know, I mean, net of taxes and, and net of everything, I probably had a slight loss. Uh, I haven't fully calculated it, but the last I looked, I'd imagine the punch that I took the other day wiped out the gains. But I will defend some value investing by saying... Uh, that's kind of the op that's kind of what you pay a low price for. I'm pissed I didn't sell it higher. 
But, you know, I thought I was right. Um, and I still may be, but the original thesis was not. Maybe it's the friends we make along the way. Well, I think okay. some of it is. I mean, I think some of it is. And I think that, um, you know, look, like people can, can, I've had people write me and they're like, it's still too cheap. I just think that with everything that's going on in media, uh, like if I wanted to make that argument, I'd point to minutes watched going up. Um, I just don't, you know, why aren't they converting it into sales? I've had questions. Every question that I've asked in investor days has been, what are we doing to invest in the business? I've constantly asked, what are we doing to improve shipping times? I've asked why like the QR code opens to the homepage and not to the item. I think they have a problem converting the last 30% of sales. And if that's the case, I don't want to sit around with the debt there. Um, and if they can change it and they can show me that they can uh, convert like social media leads to actual economic value, then I'll buy it higher than here. But um, I just, the risk reward doesn't make sense to me here. Question from the floor, mate. What do you make of John Malone saying Curate was the most undervalued Liberty complex company at the investors conference a few months back? I don't know. You tell me. I mean, I don't think Malone knows this any better than I do. I'm not trying to, like, I know that that sounds arrogant, but I don't. How did you do relative to Zoom? So far, really well. But I think Zoom, I think all those SaaS, I mean, I've been trying to figure out how to lay a little bet on SaaS. I don't know if it's picking some. I don't know if it's a shotgun approach, but some of that stuff's too beat up to me. And I, I think you could argue Zoom's one of those. Hmm. Well, that does remind me of the, uh, what did you, did you tweet out totally about Einhorn saying, uh, you know, just because it's down 50% doesn't make it deep value. <laughs> Two times a silly price, a silly, silly price, half a silly price doesn't mean it's deep value. There you go. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I think that's one way to look at the world. I think the other way to look at the world is by the dip. No, it's not that dude. You're paying 10 times revenues for a company that's growing 20% and generates healthy free cash flow. I mean, you know, people can say, I think if you anchor to the Sun Microsystems guy saying that thing about sales, I think you're making a massive mistake. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong, that's fine. But um, I, I just, I think that I think, I think a lot of these SaaS businesses are going to grow. And I think if you have a really long Zoom, maybe not. I don't care. You don't like Zoom, fine. You don't like Peloton, fine. There's something out there right now that is way too beat up. I know it. And I that's would a, argue that's a probably call, something. Well, I mean, I'm, I don't I'm know what, you. you know, I mean, I don't know what it is. I'm just saying like, and it looks optically expensive. And, you know, Mario Sabelli said a while ago, that great growth company that you've always wanted to buy you're going to pass on this time. And I think he's right. I just don't, I wish I knew which one because, you know, part of the thing that hurts about what's gone on with Curate is that was a lot of opportunity cost. I could have been studying a lot of other stuff. Yeah. And there was a, with all the corporate actions and different things happening, like there was a probably a fair amount of brain damage involved for that one. Right. I mean, just on sorting out all the <laughs> moving pieces. Yeah. I mean, I think there still could be, but you know, it's, there is a rebuttable presumption that it's an ice cube. And I think with that much debt, you got to respect that. I think that the, the curate bet, the nice thing about the curate bet when you originally put it on was it was basically, you know, too much capital tied up in it, not paying anything for the business, got a pathway to releasing the capital. And then you don't know what's going to happen with the business, but it's a free hit. So that's a good bet to put on. You just update that as you go along. Facts have changed punch out same thing applies to those SaaS businesses i don't know you know necessarily that i want to be taking a swing at them when you've got to do all of these you know calculations about where the planets are going to be in five years time i just think that's too hard for a lot of these things the best time to buy this stuff is when it's all you know drain the water out of the barrel they're all flopping around the bottom you're not paying much for the business 
And then you've got all that upside optionality. I don't know that those have got here yet. You know, 10 times sales, it's not a great metric because we don't know how much of it's falling down at the bottom. So it's kind of an, it's kind of an irrelevant metric. I, but just to, to Scott McNeely's point when he said that, you know, fair enough, he was building hardware and this thing's, all of this stuff's a long way from hardware. It's got much fatter, much fatter margins, but it's still got to prove it at some stage, right? And I get the idea. You can see that they've got fat gross margins. They're not yet covering some of their fixed costs and they're still spending more on customer acquisition costs and they'll ultimately have to spend because they're in a competitive world and they've got to get this get to this point in the future where they're the only one and they're going to win. I still think that's a hard bet to make. I think that there are just easier bets around. If you're an expert in that stuff and you can figure it out, then uh, you know it's been a great five years. I think that these, these cycles come and go and the cycle has sort of shifted away a little bit because they've got so expensive. And even like to Einhorn's point, I think he's right. Like, I don't know where the revenues, that's not the great metric for these things, but that's, that's the way we're looking at them because we don't have enough of an idea about what falls down at the bottom, but you don't have to be able to like, you know, do the Fosby flop over these six foot posts. Like as Buffett says, you just walk around looking for the one, one foot ones you got to step over. That's kind of, that's my approach. Interesting uh, enough, I found a, a quote from 1973 Forbes article from Buffett that I, for some reason, never come across. And he's talking about Polaroid and how beat up it was at the time. And he said, you basically get a call option on anything that Edwin Land, Dr. Edward Land, uh, was going to come out with. So like he recognized getting free optionality, you know, 40 years before all of us. Uh, started thinking it was a great idea. I think the time to go after a SaaS businesses is when it's really cringy. Like I remember 2002 to 2007, if you're a tech.com, like it was just, it was super cringy to be in there. And, and likewise, like, you know, the commodities got really cringy for a while there. You're just uncool like because, and, and what that creates is that that terrible sentiment creates those opportunities where you're basically paying balance sheet cash and you're getting, uh, swing at the business. And if you yeah. buy those kind of businesses, that's how you get the gigantic runs out of those things. It's all buying them when the sentiment is trash, but the business can survive or the biotech company can had survive. That at one point, there was a washout in biotech and you basically kind of got a bunch of pipelines for free. Tech's been smashed, but people still believe they're not broken. Like when when people don't want to be anywhere near it and, ref- and just what, don't want to talk about it, refuse to accept that they were ever in it, completely eliminate it from their memory and anybody who brings up like any kind of tech stock just gets laughed out of the room that's when you want to go and load up on that stuff yeah maybe every never sell tweets deleted (laughs) yeah i mean i I don't agree but that's fine (laughs) i don't that's fine uh jt you want to do yeah so this this segment came from a couple books I read last week that um, I didn't really ever imagine fitting together when they kind of ended up in my book docket, but somehow they did. And uh, the first one is called Moving the Mountain by Lee Lu. And it's actually, this book's really hard to get in the US. So shout out to my boy, George in the UK, who bought me a copy and sent it to me because uh, it's apparently easier to get there. So you can't get it on the Kindle? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I could be wrong on that, but uh, I'm listening. So, I'm just looking something on the Kindle. Yeah, go ahead and look. Uh, so this <laughs> this book is written by Lee Lu, who you know everyone kind of knows at this point as uh, Himalaya Capital founder and investor, Charlie Munger, outside capital uh, only person who's runs any of Charlie's money outside. So it was written when he was 24 years old, like the year after the Tiananmen Square event, and so. Uh, a little bit of background on Lee Lu, which is absolutely fascinating. His life story is, and this is what he's telling in, uh, for a lot of it. But so he's born in 1966 in Tangshan uh, during the Cultural Revolution that was taking place. And uh, he was basically an orphan because his parents were intellectuals and they were sent away to like re-education camps and, you know, kind of de-radicalized, if you will. Um so he grew up bouncing around orphanages and different families within Tang Shan. And um, he, he tells this story that's, I guess, kind of a, of a, a Chinese proverb. And this is where moving the mountain comes from. And it's, there's this old farmer who 
he has to go all the way around this big mountain to get to his farm to to till and do his his you know earn his keep basically and he uh over time he's like moving the rocks from the mountain you know a little bit every single day and this you know rich guy comes up and sees him and says what are you doing you old fool oh i'm i'm moving this mountain because it's in the way of my farm like you're never going to move that mountain like there's you know it's huge and you're 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 moving you're taking nothing away from it basically and he says well yeah that's i won't but you know you see my son over there who's also moving you know a couple rocks every single day well he's going to move it and he'll have sons someday who are moving it and eventually my family will move this mountain and you know this is like how he frames his interactions with the 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 communist party uh at that point in his life and so when he was 10 years old uh the Tangshan earthquake happened and he's like obviously right in the middle of it. And it was like a, one of the most deadly earthquakes that's ever hit. Uh, and several people in his adopted family were killed. And um, he ends up when he's 19, he goes uh, to Nanjing university. And in 1989 at 23, he goes to Beijing and to be part of the, the student protests that were taking place against the communist party at that point. And, they, it, it, ended, it was actually a month long demonstration and he becomes basically sort of voted in as one of the leaders of this, this student revolution. And the students all, many of them were doing like a hunger strike, uh, similar to what Gandhi did where, you know, it's like, it's nonviolent protesting. Um, and, you know, it was peaceful and respectful and, but you know what they were actually demonstrating against was inflation and government corruption. Uh, and so, you know, I think about our 8% CPI print. I think about our uh, Congress trading scandals that are have been happening. I think about some of our, a little bit of our distrust. Um, but 1 million people ended up turning up at the peak at in Tiananmen Square, which is, it's a very big place. Uh, I was there in 2016. It's this huge open air square. Uh, but to imagine a million people there is is pretty astounding. And you see some of the pictures if you go online. Um, Was it a million or 10 million? I mean, they're different reports, uh, but a million seems to be maybe the most realistic number. I don't know. Um, 10 sounds like a lot. I just, I think, I think when we talked about it previously, it said 10, but I, one. I mean, that's the, I've seen different reports. So, um, What's interesting is that the, the, the CCP at the time tried to actually sabotage the student protest, obviously, right? Like they're trying to suppress it. And at one point, the, the, like, the crowd chased off these, whoever they were, like plainclothes government officials, and they had this van and it was full of, of weapons. And like some of the students got them out, looked at them, and, but all the weapons were all like dummy, like all the firing pins were taken out of the machine guns. So they were trying to like plant like, you know, if all the students grabbed them and like ran out of the square, and now all of a sudden we've got this like out of control situation that we have to really take care of and, and do a lot of excessive force to take care of. Um, and there were spies running through there. They cut the power. They tried to suppress the, the media that was reporting on it. Um, and, you know, this kind of goes back to thinking about last week, our, our heavy gravity uh, conversations and analogies and like, boy, like if there's that much gravity from a government in that area, like it almost like sucks the information back in almost like a black hole, like it can't escape. Um, eventually they, it, and actually what it, they, uh, the people's daily, which is like the, the version, it's sort of the mouthpiece of the, the government, uh, but it's where all the news comes from. They had declared that the students protests were, uh, it was, it was necessary for the government to take a clear-cut stand against these disturbances because they were anti-party and anti-government. And the students really took a lot of offense to that because they felt like that they were protesting within the bounds of what was promised to them in like the, the Chinese equivalent of the Constitution. And they wanted the party to say like, listen, we're, we're being patriots here. We're, we're standing up for our government, like to tell our government that we don't like things about it. And, uh, Anyway, eventually the government declares martial law and 300,000 troops show up and tanks show up and they clear the square. And in the process, uh, you know, they start shooting and running people over and basically like through martial, like 
perhaps thousands of people were killed. It's not clear exactly what the number is, at least hundreds and, and very obviously thousands of people injured. Um, Lee Lu escapes to the U.S. Uh, because he was placed on the most wanted list in China at that point. Uh, and so he flees. Um, okay, so, I mean, incredible life story, right? He's already, this is, he's 23 years old and all of this stuff has already happened to him, right? So, and now from there, he's gone on to become, you know, a, I think effectively a billionaire at this point and um, led, a, led a pretty amazing life. Second book I read, which is um, called The Gray Lady Winked. And this is by Ashley Reinsberg. And this is basically like all the, a, a catalog of a bunch of the New York Times articles and reports that have been either, you know, misreporting, distortions, or even just fabrications of reality and how they actually have changed points in history. So, you know, he covers uh, like in the 1920s and 30s, the New York Times had this like a German correspondent who was like a celebrity correspondent. And like, he was basically like kind of pro Hitler and pro Nazis. And, um, you know, they like reporting on the Olympics about how amazing it was and not talking about, you know, how like they didn't let Jewish athletes participate, uh, like all kinds of stuff. Um, and it was basically, he was reporting like straight from the gobbles, uh, you know, press releases effectively. And then, they ignored 7 million-ish people in Russia who were starved to death by Stalin, right? Like, they knew it was happening, but they reported about, like, how amazing Russia's transformation had been. And, uh, again, reporting basically facts from the Russian government straight to, as New York Times articles, like, had been researched. Uh, the New York Times, like, effectively helped create Fidel Castro in Cuba, like, it, to the point, like they they had all these glowing <laughs> vignettes of him, like biographies about how it was like he he was so popular that they didn't even need to run a democratic elections. Like there's no point in doing an election. He's so popular, um, and <laughs> and then you have Saddam like, Hussein used to get like ninety nine point nine percent of the vote too. Amazing! How how did he do that? He was so popular. <laughs> and then like things in Vietnam that happened, they they effectively ignored the Holocaust. It was as it was happening. Uh, even though they knew about it. Like, I mean, it's just like one thing after another. They underreported about like what they called the atomic plague, which is basically all the people dying after the bomb had been dropped on Hiroshima. Um, I mean, just like all these different things where they, they like, and they really radically altered the way like the US average person and around the world too, right? Because the New York Times was sort of like the world's number one newspaper and they drove the narrative for a lot of things. Um, and they really altered history in a lot of ways. And of course, I mean, more recent history for us, you know, you remember like Jason Blair, who was just like totally making up stories. Uh, and then like weapons of mass destruction in the early 2000s, where they like were basically saying they found them, but I mean, that ended up like not, and like how much money have we spent on wars since then? I mean, it's just like one thing after another. So kind of gets to today now a little bit more and like recently, there's been a lot of talk about like misinformation. And so we have like, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast is in the news right now. We have um, truckers in Canada who are being uh, like, there's a lot of maybe questions about like, how come other media in the U S isn't covering this at all. Um, and if you weren't looking in other places, you might not have even heard about it. Um, so I don't know, like I, it's, it's very interesting to me. And, you know, we can get into kind of the investment context of this, where I think we've all seen it, where, I know I personally have, like, I've been at an annual shareholders meeting and then read reports about it later where, like, it does not match at all the tone or anything that I witnessed with my own eyes relative to, and so if you're just reading reports and assuming that they're true, like, boy, like, there's, there's just a lot of room for, and, and this has kind of always been the case, right? Like, misinformation has always been a thing, as we said at the beginning. Um, so just, I guess, maybe they just, like, take everything with a healthy dose of skepticism no matter what you forgot but, to mention that time magazine had hitler on the cover as man of the year and whatever vintage that was 36 or something like that ouch good call there yeah and then uh michael Crichton's great line about um you know you turn to the open the newspaper up to something that you know about and they've just got the causation just inside out and then you turn the page and you just accept that at face value yes right 
the the Murray Gelman amnesia. Murray Gelman amnesia. Yeah. Yeah. Great line. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I just stopped reading news a long time ago. I think Taleb, I read that 2006 Taleb book. Uh, I always get them. I always get them confused. Not the Black Swan one. The Phil by Randomness one. Yeah, somebody mentioned that just then. Good, I think. Phil by Randomness. There we go. Um, just that that same thing where Taleb said you can open up the paper from a year ago and you look at it and it's screaming at you and none of it none of it was even that important even you know it's wrong and it's not that important and I think that's probably a pretty good approach that's why I sort of try to be a little bit more data driven and ignore a lot of the narrative about that stuff it just it's not helpful for the most part one of the things I've tried to I've had a hard time squaring is Buffett and Munger read like seven newspapers a day or something like that right so how do they keep themselves from being misinformed? Is it a triangulation issue? Think, Is it, how do they you know, do it? The, there, are, there are people who are just hyper-rational and they just don't get particularly persuaded one way or the other for anything that they read. But if you have any of that, um, which most of us aren't that way, most of us are more emotional than that. And you just need to control a little bit better, I think. Mm. Yeah, I suspect that they actually call who matters when they find something that's interesting. So you think they dig deeper on everything that they would make a meaningful? Yeah, I think they just look at it and they're like, garbage, 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 garbage. All right, I'll call this senator. And then they call (laughs) him. I mean, I I think that's how it works. I think that's how if, if you study Buffett's relationship with Kay Graham, I mean, he got access to a ton of people. And then as you get wealthier and more powerful, I think you get more access and Munger's clearly connected in the law uh, realm. Like, I think that's what they do. That's what I'd do. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd get a crumb and then I'd call the, if I've learned anything from this podcast stuff, it's like, talk to people, you know, uh, I went through it on OpFi and like, it sucks to be down on that stock, but whatever. You know, the CEO comes out and everybody is like, oh, the stock's down. CEO is fired. Like, this is this. Oh, this is a fucking dumpster fire. Okay, well, I actually got on the phone with the guy. Like, I'm pretty comfortable with the situation. So, uh, you know, there's like I think there's a way to invest. And then I think there's a way to get caught up in narrative. And I uh, I try to find to the extent I can people that know what the hell is going on to actually ask. Yeah, what, what are the problems with the media as it is, um, is that it's it's a for-profit business and people stop to look at car crashes. So they get the most um, attention-grabbing headline, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. And then they've got to keep that story alive for as many days as possible. So they're just saying the same thing, but it's a slightly different twist on it. Here's what somebody else says about that. Here are the consequences of it and so on and so on. I, think I mean, dude, one of the big I wouldn't problems. be shocked if Buffett reads something and gets like private investigators to go investigate that stuff on his behalf. Like, I, I think they're looking for stuff that is like, why is this here right now? And then I think they dig into why it's here right now. Mm. I don't think they read the news like normal people read the news. I think the news is half mind control of the normal people. At least half. Yeah. What about the other half? <laughs> That's selling uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, more or less. So what can us like, you know, mere peasants do then? Turn Index. Off. <laughs> Turn off. Well, those are actually, you guys said the same answer, just slightly different. It's amazing how much better you feel. Like it's amazing when, you know, it comes into Twitter on the sidebar sometimes, some of that news and, uh, you know, I'm as affected by it as anybody else. And then I walk outside, I'm like, well, it's still sunny out here. It's not that bad. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I got, a- I got two more years. And then if, if I'm no good at this, I really am going to index and just, I'm but just there's, done. There's a lot of steps between, um, you know, pure discretion and <laughs> like pure index like that. You could, for example. I'm good, man. I'm people won't hear from me again. And like I'll be outside. I'm in Florida. We got masks off, shirts off. We're ready to go. Although it's a little <laughs> cold now. It's like 60. But uh I'm okay not, you know, 
if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I'm not going to chase it. But but I have an approach that's basically, I don't want to index it because I don't want to market cap weight all the stuff that I own because I think that that's like sy- systematically a mistake. So you could just oh, like- Oh, Buffett has shunned the idea of using insider info. Get the fuck out of here. That <laughs> dude does more research on people. It may not be like insider info. There's no way that Buffett doesn't know more about stuff than the people that he's buying it from. And he's that's talking to the- everybody. MNPI, that things people don't talk about his dad was a congressman okay like the notion that buffett has not curated an insanely good network every chance that he got is like asinine asinine i still think he's also that personality type that it doesn't really matter what someone says he's still going to go and do his own thing make his own what am i on about what does this guy mean i'm not on about anything what's that mean in australian (laughs) talking about what you talking about? Talk about, you talking I, just, about? <laughs> I think Buffett, I do think he like, I think he talked to people. I think he triangulated why people were selling. I think he knew the other side of the trade. I think he knew Geico. If he's not into insider information, he doesn't drive down to, uh, to the corporate facility and interview the guy for six hours. Like, come Robert the Davison. fuck on. We think this wasn't guy the, just sat there wasn't and read he the janitor? Like the, it's insane to me to think he didn't look at stuff like that and try to talk to people. Yeah, he's got a butted for sure. Oh, I did. All right, let's move. Let on. me. Uh, I don't. I don't really. Mine's not. Oh, hang on. I managed to close it down because I was. Because you're get going on about something. I was trying to find. I was on about something. I was trying to find Lee Lou's. So it's so Lee Lou. There's no. Uh, there's no Kindle. And they're, they're trading at like 99, 100 bucks. Um, I saw you let you smile at that comment. What do you think about it? Hungry Jacks in Hungry Australia. Jacks. What do you think about it? Hungry Jacks is Burger King. So there's this bloke who owned a whole lot of cattle farms and he, and he thought McDonald's is doing well. I'll get, I'll get a competitor to McDonald's where I can sell my beef cattle. And uh, did, I don't know whether he didn't like the name Burger King or somebody else had already registered the name Burger King. So he called it Hungry Jacks. So Burger King in Australia is Hungry Jacks. Maybe they've changed it since I left. I don't know. But that's it. For all of my childhood, it was it was Hungry Jacks. Mate, I don't eat that stuff. I don't eat that stuff when I was there. That's because you're like the um, you're like one step away. You know this like beautiful Chad like picture <laughs> that's all over uh, like Twitter. No. You're gonna be that guy soon. Mate, what happened was I grew up in a little country town. Like, like there was just nothing out there. There was a dirty chook. We got the we got Kentucky Fried Chicken. That was the only thing. There were no stoplights. Like people used to, the only reason you were coming to my town is because you were going through somewhere else. It was like, it had, it had one, the main street was like literally the highway. And so you drove in and this is in kilometers an hour. Uh, I, I could hear the conversion, but it's like you went from 75 miles an hour and then you had to slow down to like 35 miles an hour for about three miles. And then you accelerated back up again. Like that was, that was how people visited the town. So there were no stoplights. Like you just slowed how down. How do parents there. get there? Uh, it's a, it's a really long, boring story. I'll say it for another time. Were they walking across Australia and they were like, fuck it. That's the last step. I no, got my, no more steps in me. My man's a, my man's a physician and he was, uh, ah. he did this. Um, he was a, they have this thing called the flying doctors. So if you, if you're in a, um, if something happens to you in a rural and remote region and there's no doctor there, they fly in some doctors in these little, like tiny little twin prop planes. And um, they flew a guy out and they stopped there. They had to do a burr hole in his skull as they were flying Ooh. back to the city. And somehow my man decided that was good. And I guess, it, I guess, so we, we, we grew up out in this little country town, but great if you're a doctor, cause you get to do everything like, he was yeah. delivering babies. And Veterinarian that's, that's, too. Yeah, basically. But using horse dewormer on, on humans. I don't know. I don't know. I made that up. Um, so. Uh, horse dewormer. This is. We're, we are definitely getting demonetized today. Okay. I didn't well, use the. Uh, I didn't use the. Uh, Nazis. We had. The name of it. I did not see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be a total letdown now. But um, Wall Street Journal says value investing's back. Great couple of great quotes in here from uh, Cliff Asness. Um, I just wanted to 
read these out and then I got a little point. So the guy was sort of making the point that uh, as we all have seen, like interest rates turn up a little bit, inflation runs up a little bit, value investing starts looking a little bit better and uh, the growthy stuff gets kicked around. And so they asked Cliff what he thought about that. And he said, uh, you know, you can't, you can't find behavioral magic on a spreadsheet. And so he's just making the point that nobody knows what, what turns it around. Then there was this... if it was like a, a rebirth or a, or a death spasm. That's right. That's, <laughs> I think he said that on Twitter. I think he yeah. said on Twitter, he was like, um, let's go with rebirth. <laughs> yeah. Why not? The, uh, le petit mort, as they sometimes say in France. Uh, that's, yeah, that's not answer. a death spasm. The, uh, the, the most interesting thing, I just tweeted this out because I thought it was kind of an interesting chart. Everybody's like trying to find the relationship. Like, why is it that value sucks so bad? Why is it value is doing a little bit better now? The one thing that made a big difference was that um, the the 30-year treasury has sort of bottomed in the recession in like March 2020. And it's sort of run up pretty consistently since then. It's amazing how much it looks like the market neutral value spread. It's mm-hmm. kind of been the thing that's driven, that's driven uh, the run. I just—it's it, a funny fit. I tweeted it out just because I'm like, I, I'm always shocked by these things. Like, I don't want to be—I don't want to be macro. I don't want to be, and I—I I, I feel bad that the, the little clip that I tweeted out this morning was of Bill saying, uh, "You're talking about—I forget now—but then I went straight into Cape because I think in the context of what we were talking about, that was appropriate. But it did sound a little bit jarring when I kind of listened to that. And listen to that thing and it, I, I don't know if it's like value sucks so bad for so long you're looking for those external reasons why you know the thing that you're doing is not working and so you start grasping at straws like inflation and interest rates and sure. and the fed which is basically you know the, saying the same thing grassy knoll <laughs> the, the shooter on the grassy knoll but this is the you know that i remember the uh cliff didn't actually ever produce this this little thing but when i had him on the podcast he we were talking about that had just put, brought out his colleagues had just brought out this paper where they looked at every single permutation of interest rates that they could find, like the absolute level of interest rates, the change in interest rates, the slope in the curve, all these things, and nothing in there could, um, nothing in there, yeah, nothing fit, nothing fit the the performance. But still, it's like it's a convenient. It that, that story keeps on coming back and. And I think I said to him at the time, it's a shame because it's it's kind of um, it makes kind of it makes kind of intuitive sense, you know. Even though it doesn't really predict it, it's kind of an intuitive idea that as rates go up, you get that movement in the in those in the different durations of of growth versus value. And so this guy's the author of this. Uh, I shouldn't say this guy, the author of this. James McIntosh, he comes to the same conclusion. He says that- Is he so, not this guy? Well, whatever. Forget, forget say it, it again. Nothing. I'm not saying anything. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's, I mean, in theory, the longer dated cash flows are longer duration assets, right? It's, a, it's an interesting thought experiment how much all of us have been making a rates bet one way or the other maybe unintentionally sometimes i just like concern yeah i mean i think that that's i think it's a reasonable concern i i also think that over the long term when you overlay earnings growth and stock performance that tends to be pretty correlated so i still think that like even if you're you know if i was like some SaaS investor right now if I was really confident that these companies are going to grow like 30%, I mean, they're doubling every three years, right? Every two years, every two and a half years, you should outrun rates. It's pretty As wild. long as you're right, you got to so, be right. But like, you can't be not right in cheap stuff. Like, you know, you got to be right no matter what you're doing, I think. There are no easy bits at the moment because, you know, the... <laughs> The stuff that grows fast has a very, very high multiple attached to it. And, you know, you can do any kind of analysis where you think about any kind of fade in the rate of growth. And then you say that, or fade in the rate of growth or fade in the set of return on, on invested capital and those things. As you reduce the rate at which something earns on its capital or it grows, there should be a commensurate reduction in the multiple applied to it, right? And if you do that, 
it's frightening how quickly these things start looking very, very expensive. Like they really have to retain those super normal rates of growth and returns in order to retain those super normal multiples. And then on top of that, you've got to assume that rates stay where they are. Good luck. It's interesting to listening to the, I mean, they talk about a 97 and 98 AGM at Berkshire, but Buffett's saying, because the people are already expressing like, if rates move up, like isn't everything expensive? And this was in 98 when, I don't know, rates were like five or six or something. Um, but people had anchored from 15 in 1982 at that point, right? So it's all kind of a little bit, we, we forget how relative some of this stuff feels. But, and the other thing that was happening there was profit margins, like return on equity for, for American businesses was way higher than normal. And so Buffett said, if returns on equity stay high and rates stay low, things are pretty cheap right now, dot, dot, dot. But I wouldn't really bet that way. <laughs> And it's like, it's almost the exact same conversation all over again today. I feel like um, it sucks. Cause I don't want to be, I don't want to be a macro guy. I don't want to be talking about this stuff all the time. I don't want to really talk about what's in the portfolio too much either, but I, that, that's the, that's the, there's nothing this, left then. Yeah. Well, that's, that's <laughs> right. You're kind of in this situation, but I, I think that what we have been saying for a little while has sort of it's, I've been as shocked as anybody else that it has been sort of slowly coming through, but it does seem to me that, you know, we were, screaming like when i when i kind of launched everything in 2019 i could see how wide those spreads were like i didn't foresee that they were going to go on then to like historical widths it's about to blow out from there yeah i guess there's like always a new record coming but you know it's entirely possible that we're now like i think september 2020 was the as wide as that spread got and then it it like it ran through to sort of April or May and it, that it closed really rapidly. Like it was, I was kind of shocked at how fast it was closing there. And then something happened in about April or May and it just sort of backed off a little bit. And now the spread is as wide as it was, uh, you know, at, at any point through this whole process, which is kind of shocking. Even right now it is? No, it's, it's picked up a little bit off the bottom, but like okay. I said, this is, that was what I was referring to earlier when you got to get the, you got to get the, the microscope out to see that, oh, yeah. that little tick back up <laughs> off the bottom, yeah. see it closing. Like, I don't think it's even moved yet. Nothing's even, nothing's really even happened. And, you know, I think that initially what I was saying is a lot of the, a lot of the spread was driven by overvaluation growth. And like that has now sort of, a lot of that has collapsed. But when you look at the, when you look at how much it has moved relative to how much it's probably going to move, like it's really not even started yet, which is shocking given how beaten up everything is. You know, it was pretty wild was somebody tagged us in a, to go replay and rewatch our March, early March, 2020 value after hours. What, what were we talking about then? Well, shockingly enough, we didn't say that many stupid things. Um, in fact, like, I feel like we were kind of early talking about a uh, not so well, I mean, some supply chain issues, but like a shrinking pie being the cause for possible inflation. Um, a shrinking supply. Yeah. Shrinking yeah. pie of goods and services, and more claim tickets chasing those. Um, That was not the dumbest thing. Um, The only real shocker was how much younger we looked (laughs) in like two years. It's been a rough, uh, it's been a rough two years. Two two years, uh, we've all aged a lot and it's, it was a little sad to see. Been inside a lot. (sighs) Yeah. Getting enough sunshine. Stress. Go look at me from December and if I don't look any better, I'm going to drink more. (laughs) Did you you do it? Did you do a dry January? I, you know, I didn't do a dry January per se. Uh, I was, I was California sober for most of it. I made three exceptions, uh, all of which were well, four, actually the three were all dinners that were nice with my wife and another couple. Uh, one of which we had paid and it was like a prefix with wine pairings. And my wife was like, you're seriously not going to drink here for some stupid fucking dry January thing. And I was like, okay, you win. Uh, the other was actually a wine dinner. Better make it a double. Um, and then one one was a golf thing with a bunch of guys. So I had some beers at that. But uh, I'm going to keep this lifestyle, man. I think the habitual drinking is gone for me. Mm. It just catches I, up I just with don't, your I, Big win. Yeah, and I got my my uh, prescription. Uh, went on 
veraheal.com. So I, I'll be officially legal on Wednesday. Getting a puppy tomorrow, too. So I got a lot of shit going on, man. I what, what kind of dog? Yeah, you, be better, you better start indexing. <laughs> you got I know. I know. Golden Retriever. Oh, man, that's a win. That's- yeah. Yeah, man. Some happiness coming into the kids' lives. That'd be fun. So. If you can't tone it, tan it. There you go. That's the sentiment. <laughs> that's pretty good. In yeah. the short-term sentiment over fundamentals and the long-term fundamentals over sentiment, I couldn't agree more. The problem is that it turns out that the long run is really bloody long. Amen. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, what, I, what I'm saying about the, the indexing thing is, like, I'm pretty, like, I'm pretty comfortable with the bets I have laid. If these bets don't work, like, what am I doing all this for? And yes, I do like it. I could just be like William, like William Green doesn't have some active portfolio. I love the market. I love talking to market people. I could just index and talk to market people and not deal with all this shit. I think Jason Zweig's similar. Yeah. Like, you can also have like 95%. Knows as much as anybody, but happy to index. Put yeah. 95% of your assets in the, um, I mean, if you're going to do it and then have value, value ETFs, it's just your, different your, names. You're betting just so you can like intellectually, you know. Yeah. So someone asked about the one-on-one interviews. Uh, those interviews, uh, they're just so much work and they're, um, the, they, they're, they're like, a, they're, I reckon they're four times the work and they're a quarter of the viewers. And this is, I just show up to these and they, they seem to do much better than the interviews. So I'm not in any great hurry to, return to those interviews but i guess if there was enough demand for it which i really don't think there is so that's basically why i'd much rather just be doing this from what do you think of the podcast business as a as a two to three year podcaster now uh what what have you experienced seen my general take on it is it's a better marketing mechanism than it is a business yeah I have never really used it. I would it say our business. lack of revenue would indicate that that is very true. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other I've thing been thinking about this. Numbers are way down from like, so I, I forget where numbers peaked, but I'm probably, the numbers are like half where they were in, I think it might have been like, I, I, not, I can't, say it's a year. It's like maybe a year or more. Uh, the numbers are about half where they were a year or more ago. And that's not for us, was, though, right? My ego couldn't take that. Well, I think that. It, <laughs> Value after hours is probably yeah. I, I I can't. I have to tease that out individually. But the the uh, the definitely the interview style, uh, possibly because there were you know the the Bill's longer form one is a better version of the of the one hour one. That's not and, why. Well, you know it's possible. And then there's just there's there's an exponentially larger amount of competition out there. I don't know. I I much prefer this format to to uh, to those individual and. I've, I've just been thinking about it because on Spotify, um, I've just been thinking about that asset a lot and, um, streaming ad insertion, I think is a large part. And I, I, I just, um, I don't know, man, you get, you know, 20 to $30 CPMs or, you know, you know, the per thousand listens, and then you split it 50, 50. And it's like, how many podcasts are actually doing big enough numbers? It's just not much money. I just, I, There's a broad uh, tail to it. Yeah, that's a power. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I just kind of wonder how many people are doing a podcast for a hundred listeners and what they're doing with it. It's uh, like the majority. Yeah, Yeah, that's crazy to me. Why? What are you doing with your time, folks? (laughs) Unless you like it, like being super small or whatever. But uh, I don't know. I'd rather be at the beach. There's other there's other models too. You could subscription revenue um, rather than advertising. Yeah. If you're doing, if you're doing like, you know, the, the conferences where people go to, people will pay for conferences where there are speakers who are professional investors or um, you, you can get access to the CEO of the company. So if your podcast is replicating that in some way, you probably could charge a subscription fee for those premium kind of features, or you let them get into a room where they can ask the questions when they're there. Yeah. That, that's that's kind of real business. visions model from what I understand, but I, I don't know what I'm talking about. But you need, you need a lot of diary of the mouth. It gets me in trouble. Sometimes you need a lot of listeners. Uh, it gets us all in trouble. Sell some merch. Yeah. You can sell merch. We had that merch That's store. It. I don't even know what it is now. I didn't push it much. <laughs> I could, we could find that podcasting. Like, I, I think that we need some know, t-shirts someone... for 
we need t-shirts for berkshire that way we have something to identify our everybody i was gonna win are you gonna set up a booth no (laughs) but just just for fun yeah, I think that in terms of in terms of like uh, indexing, you know, you don't have to go all the way to market cap weighted index. I think that there are, you know, there is an index for just a bit. There are, evidently, there are more indexes than there are stocks at the moment. So you can definitely find the index that you're looking for. Or you can find the ETF that you're looking for. How is that you know, possible, by the way? I've heard that stat before. It, it just it boggles nothing. my mind. Because to, to list a company is an expensive, time-consuming process. And... And to any, create any an index, can start an index. you can create an index for like virtually nothing and start tracking stuff. And then you try to market that index to someone who will turn that into an ETF. Like that's quite common. Uh. We should sell our blue quarter zips. Yeah. I wish I could find a good one. Yeah. Or I like the VAH coin. <laughs> VAH coin. Yeah. That would what be would you buy dope. with it? I don't know. Just let every, let, let that, let that get cracked down on a little bit. Twitter spaces are pretty fun. I've, I've jumped onto a few Twitter spaces, not as a speaker, just as a listener. They've been pretty good. <laughs> I was thinking about you. I think I see what you're laughing at. I was thinking about oh, you. Oh, kettlebell kettlebells. Crush, yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> easier than shipping. Uh, poor Peloton. Uh, can't, ship, can't ship the uh, kettlebells through the post. Whew. Yeah, Peloton got savaged. Yeah, I... I um, I think that there are people who are going to be able to make money in those podcast businesses, but I think that, you know, it's like a, you need to be like a Gary V type to kind of drive it really hard or, or, or like Rogan when he just started out and it was just like four, four monkeys just hitting the computer and talking about nonsense and it grew organically over. And we're, we're only at three years. So over 10 years. <laughs> I mean, I, I have fun One doing this. Short. I love yeah. chatting to you guys. I'd be doing this, you know, if it wasn't being broadcast, I'd be doing it probably be a little bit more honest too. But the more time, the more time we do it, the more honest we get. I think. Yeah, that's, that's probably yeah, why I get in half. That's probably why the numbers honest. are down so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I I agree. I just um, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's a weird world to me where people are just like sitting there talking to like no one, but. If you're having fun, there's a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no and, doubt. And and you know, even if you've only got a hundred listeners, like it's hard to get a hundred people to come to an event and listen to you talk. If you're getting a hundred w- listeners when you do it, that's that's not it's too bad. The juice versus the squeeze thing. But, that, you know, that's the only thing time. that I find interesting. If you've got nothing else going on, I mean, I, when I when I started Greenbacked, that little blog, like I think the first month I got 225 clicks, and where's Gray? Might, might have been half, half of them. Yeah, <laughs> you were the other half. That you got. Yeah. And I was just doing it because it was fun. I was just doing it because I, I just wanted some record of what I was doing. And uh, like, I didn't really care if it got any clicks. I just wanted it to be a record in years to come so I could go and get a job, you know, buying these things. Didn't ever get me a job. But uh, it, it did, yeah, <laughs> in the States, it got, me a, it, it got me a firm. So it worked out okay. Somebody asked about credit card data. I, I have no idea. Um, what I do, I, you know, hedge I, I think people have uh, mixed opinions about Keith McCullough. He's, uh, he's definitely an aggressive personality with his marketing sometimes, but I kind of understand that. Um, I, I don't, I, I'm kind of intrigued by his framework. And long story short, they think there's like a massively uh, strong probability that we're going into what he calls quad four in, in the second quarter. And I don't think it's like some big, uh, you know, you don't have to be a genius to figure out why. Yeah. It's just like, you know, you think about all the slow down, like all the stimulus rolling off and, um, it's not good for tech stocks quad four, according to him. So it'll be interesting to watch. The only problem, and I've been accused of this before. I'm, I I authentically believe what I'm saying and I'm, I'm sure they did too, but it definitely is the case that the pessimism sells better it attracts more attention than optimism does and optimism always looks really dumb when the market cracks but to buffett's great credit and it's taken me a long time to learn this too but because it's not naturally my personality but to, to be like basically optimistic is, is usually the best position to be in and even if it turns out to be true that everything gets cracked you just can't trade in and out of it it's too hard you're better off deciding now what what everything looks like at the bottom of the crack and then positioning yourself now. And then that's the way you should be running anyway. You know, or have a have a range of outcomes where you've got 
your right tail hedged, which is like going and buying some leaps on the fangs or the SAS stocks or whatever, and then hedge your left tail with. Don't you don't you feel this a little bit like advice, Augustine though right at this point though, where it's like give me optimism, but not yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I just one like one of the things that makes me I I am thoughtful like you know Bill Bill saying um, that. The, there's a fundamental change in the composition of the indices where we've got five of the biggest companies, like 25% of the index are exceptionally high returners on invested capital growing very rapidly, really not much competition. I do think that that, that is like, that's, that's, that's a good reason why you should probably fade Cape a little bit here, but I'm just, I'm just nervous about those kind of, I mean, not that I, it doesn't impact anything that I do. I'm always going to be just trying. I'm I'm trying to buy the best and cheapest stuff around, or the, the you know cheapest first, and then and then best stuff in that cheap bucket. That no matter what happens, it'll be okay. But it's entirely possible that you know when I look at the when I look at the returns, expected returns absent any multiple fade. You know, it's hard to get the 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 S and P 500 looks like it's got a reasonably good expected return absent multiple fade. Mm. If you assume some multiple fade, then it's it's ugly. But if you don't assume multiple fade, then it's doing pretty well. It's just whether we can go ten years forward and still be at peak cape because the five biggest companies in the index are such high quality still at that point. Like if you if you fast forward those companies, those trillion three trillion dollar companies over ten years with these assumptions, like they're bloody big companies and. Uh, there's not much else out there. It'll be the S and P five by that point. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, just to produce a normal return from those starting points over ten years, I mean, that's you start talking some very, very large businesses. You get numbers I, like Arx, uh, Arx estimate for the taxi, <laughs> the entire taxi market, like a trillion dollar opportunity. What's most amazing is last year that was only six trillion, and it's gone to eleven trillion year over year. That's a, that's a big hike. That's a the TAM is growing quickly. Arc system of the TAM is growing quickly. That's the trick. You can never saturate when your TAM's growing fifty percent. <laughs> I mean, look, if your view of the world is like everything's going to be self-driving, then you do have a lot of expansion in the taxi market. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I don't need to know. I don't care. I just somebody asked real quick. Somebody asked real quick about me. I don't want to. I don't want to like talk down about people that have small podcasts. That's not my point. It's just there's a lot of work that goes into doing a podcast. So to only have a hundred. That's my point. Like, you know, if he said like, do you feel the same way about people tweeting? Tweeting takes no work. Come do a podcast and talk to me about work, (laughs) like versus tweeting. This podcast may not take too much work, but there's a lot that goes on after. Once it's set up, it's easy. Getting getting it set up takes a little bit of effort. Once it's set up, like anything, like starting anything is just a it is breaks your head. And then the moment that it's set up, it's pretty easy just to keep it going. Yeah, my editing is pain, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, editing is, but I don't edit this one. This one just goes out raw and uncut. And then people get mad at me because I say things I shouldn't. That's the that's 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 why we love you, mate. That's why you're here. Has been my whole life. Imagine living with me and being married. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's one. I just wanted. We're, we're, we're over time a little bit, but I just, I like the, um, I like this idea. I, I, I don't know whether it's gonna, whether it's gonna actually be the case or not. But like, oil companies, uh, like the price of energy. I, I saw this tweet earlier, and I've seen this a few times. This idea that it's not ultimately the Fed even though the Fed does tend to raise rates and that does tend to collapse the market, but it's, they, they have to raise rates because the economy is overheating and that tends to be oil and energy. And energy, like the way that energy is running up at the moment, that's got to be, does that factor into quad four? Is that one of the inputs? Oh, I don't know. But I mean, it's hard to argue it's good for consumer spending. I mean, you got all the, you got the-, the I have the my ships- tinfoil hat theory that they're, that, uh, High energy prices, politicians love because it helps them drive the EV adoption. I don't know, man. That's like you, food and energy and housing. You push those up, and you, I think you push up guillotine light risk, which is throwing everybody out. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch. I um, I mean, I was talking to uh, Braden Brock today and he was telling me about what's going on in Canada and how pissed off the truckers are there. And like, I don't know, man, uh, this stuff could get, I mean, supply chain could really be messed up for. Well, there's some talk of American truckers thought. doing it too. Yeah. I mean, then you really get, you got the shipping's jacked up, Canadian importing stuff into the States jacked up then transport around the states jacked up i mean i don't know what happens then that's that's yeah. really nasty Just i don't want to say need to think about what we're actually doing here all right dudes way over time all right this is right. fun everybody good work everyone we'll see you next week more conspiracy Move with the shake it up stop when the clock gets 13 see